I'm Big Sexy Brian Bales from Super Geeky Playdate, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in three, two, one. Talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. The Intellectual Podcast starts now. Hey everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Podcast. This is the start of what I'm calling Season 5. We're in our fifth year podcast. We are not, are we? We are, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. Um, We're at, uh, I believe this is episode 211. This is also the first episode on the Gunna Geek Network. Hi, Gunna Geeks. Which we're proud to now be a a part of. Uh, As I said, I'm Dave Dawson, and my beautiful, talented co-host, who's celebrating her birthday today, is sitting with me, Whitney Wegman. Hey, Whit. Hi. So, I I thought, um, with the start of our fifth year, fifth season, um, now would be the time to kind of change up the show just a a tiny little bit. All right. Um... The show's gone through several iterations. Like, the very first bit was me just goofing off with some friends. And then we started adding in some interviews. And then I got a whole bunch of co-hosts, and it became kind of like a morning drive or afternoon drive show Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a while. Uh, And then really, since you've come on board, it's primarily just been an interview show. Um, That's true. We haven't done a lot of just standalone episodes. Uh, But going forward, um, our, our intellectual entertainment... Our, our whole endeavor, not just the podcast, uh, but we're filmmakers. I'm a, I'm a producer, director, writer. You're an actress and producer. And, and secretly have lots of things written that have never seen the light of day, but and, maybe someday. And, yeah, and you're a clown. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that I am. Um, we, we, we've got a lot of things going on with intellectual entertainment, and I know this year is going to be an exceptionally busy year. And to do 45 or 50 interviews this year would be really difficult. Time-wise. That is, yes. <laughs> um, so to um, kind of lighten our load a little bit as far as like trying to schedule interviews and do that sort of stuff, we're, we're going to still do hour-long chats with the entertainment people that we usually would talk with, which mostly are San Diego filmmakers who mm-hmm. are up and coming or already established, um, but they help us get insight into the process that all of us are doing. Um, we're going to spread those interviews out over two episodes. So the back half of every episode is going to be a half hour discussion with a, a filmmaker um, who's got something interesting to discuss with us or not. Sometimes <laughs> they're just fun discussions. Um, and the first half is going to be you and me. And uh, whenever they're available, Steve Schwartz and Mark Atkinson will join us and we'll, uh, we'll do weekly uh, entertainment news and kind of recaps of what we see going on in, the industry that you're a part of. Yeah. We're a part of. Share our opinion about that industry, which we all have strong opinions about. <laughs> yeah, very strong opinions. And it's been, it's like 2018 is like the year of strong opinions and stuff. Like, Oh, I mean, strong opinions have always been there, but now <laughs> people are really verbalizing them. Uh, some for good, some for bad. Yeah. Use your celebrity for good. That's what I say. <laughs> you just use your power for good, period. <laughs> you don't even have to be a celebrity. But, um... So this weekend, yesterday, I guess the the top news for this week is the SAG Awards came out. Um, 
you know, a couple weeks after the Golden Globes. And uh, I think we're starting to see some some front runners for who potentially is going to win some Oscars and whatnot. Um, but I thought just to get ourselves started, we could just kind of go through the list and talk a little bit about. Yeah. You've abs- watched most of the I, I did. program. I, I, however, didn't watch the program because I was busy trying to finish our film last night before I leave today on... <laughs> On a gig, I'm driving across the country starting today. So I did not watch it live, however, though, because um, we we don't have real TV. We uh, we do Netflix and Hulu and other streaming services, which is great, of course, for a plethora of reasons. Um, sitting there for hours on end binging things, <laughs> but uh, is really difficult if you're wanting to see something live. So thank God they had most everything posted on on YouTube, and. Uh, yeah, I, the first thing that I want to comment on is the fact that for the first time ever, the Screen Actors Guild had a host. Uh, Kristen Bell was the first host ever. Is that the first time they've had a host? Really? It's the first time they've had a host, and she's who they chose. And she she's had, adorable. I love her. Uh, yeah, she's great. I love her. And she used to work here in San Diego when she was shooting yeah, Veronica Mars. Yeah, Veronica Mars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's just adorable and quirky, and if I'm ever famous enough, I want her to be my best friend. <laughs> um... I also, okay, so the fact that she's married to Dax Shepard, I think says so much about her personality because he's like, I mean, like he's one of those really nerdy guys who happen to grow up to be like stacked, but you can tell like beneath that very small veneer of being stacked, he's like just the nerdiest human being you've ever seen. And if like that's the type of person she goes for, it's like, yeah, you and I could be friends because nerd love. Yeah, I've only ever dated. I had a friend that told me I've only ever dated men who look like uh, Shaggy from Scooby Doo. <laughs> that's a. It's <laughs> think of John and know that is absolutely true. Now, now for new listeners, uh, Whitney's married to a physicist who does, in fact, have a bit of a Shaggy vibe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he's brilliant. But he's definitely got a shaggy vibe. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> All we hilarious. need is an uh, old Volkswagen van. We'll be right there. Well, it's it's cool that they've got a host. Uh, I didn't I didn't realize that they've gone all this time without having a host for their show. Yeah, but. and she did a great job. Um, her opening monologue it was a very political show. Uh, yeah. Everybody threw out. And, of course, a lot of the things with the Me Too movement. Um, but she was saying how, you know, she's the first lady of the SAG Awards and really the first host, period. And uh, she kind of called out Melania Trump on uh, the fact that, you know, she took this platform on uh, anti-cyberbullying and mm-hmm. anti-bullying period and not much has come of it. Yeah, can't nobody's even... heard a word from Melania. Well, and furthermore, she can't even corral in one of the biggest cyberbullies that she's married to. So uh, that was the opening monologue and it set the tone for the rest of the night. Like, OK, yeah. we're just going there. And, uh, well, it's interesting because the SAG Awards also happened right in the middle of the government shutdown. Right. Know? So it's like, A, Hollywood loves to comment on what's going on in D.C. Like, Hollywood just does. They mm-hmm. love to comment on it, whether it's good or bad, either way. Um, but in this particular award show, like, it was right in the middle of the government shutdown. You, you kind of knew going in it was going to be a political show regardless. I mean, yeah. They're already pretty political anyway with Trump. But uh, in the midst of what's going on in, in D.C., I wasn't surprised. But honestly, I mean, more so than the politics, almost all of the artists commented on working women 
not just working women in Hollywood, but working women in general and the Time's Up and Me Too movements and uh, and supporting each other as women. Because a lot of times, especially in, in a career like acting, um, it's hard not to look at other women as your competition. And I think... Everyone who got up there, well, male, they've made movies about that. Yeah, <laughs> so. male or female. One of those movies was up this year. The feud. The mm-hmm. um, and uh, they all were very gracious and you know pointed out. Even though I got the award, the only reason I'm up here is because of you know building on people like Meryl Streep and yeah, Nicole Kidman's speech. Yeah, uh, which is, you, you showed me before we sat down. Yeah, uh, was very much that way. Um, she won Best Actress for Big Little Lies. Yeah, for Best Actress in a uh, TV miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, Nicole Kidman's uh, whole career has been fascinating because she kind of came out of nowhere and then was immediately attached to Tom Cruise and and was Mrs. Tom Cruise. And that's kind of how people identified her for a while um, until... I think Moulin Rouge was really mm-hmm. kind of when people were like, hey, Nicole's kind of her thing, you know? Um, She's having a renaissance though. Uh, Cause I remember a few years back, like there was so much um, sort of bad press because like she went and got some plastic surgery and she was very open about talking about that and how, you know, um, Keith Urban, her husband was like, please do not get any more plastic surgery. You're beautiful age gracefully. And she was, like shared that with the tabloids and she said, you know, the reason I did it is because, you know, my husband's star is on the rise and I, I feel like mine's on the downslide and I feel like I'm having to keep up with the Joneses. And basically that like completely intense honesty, I think kind of when people looked at her differently and she's been getting tons of roles, but roles, like she said in her speech, roles of her age and mm-hmm. you know just the fact that 20 years ago someone over 40 wouldn't have gotten cast period but there's so many women who are of that age and still powerhouses well i think more so you know i i, I this is one of those things because we're friends with a lot of actors and one of the things that i hear constantly is like maybe i'm getting too old now i'm getting too old now and like nobody's going to cast me for stuff but i keep going back to Age is, is a gift to an actor. It's a tool. Like life experience just expands your ability to tell story. Like, yeah, I, uh, I don't buy into the, uh, every actor needs to be young mantra. Like I, I prefer to see people with some age yeah. in the roles playing parts, you know, I, and I, I reference a lot of male actors cause you know, I'm a man. Um, but like I don't, I think a lot of them became more interesting as they got older. Like Matthew McConaughey, way more interesting as an actor now than he was when he was younger. Most George definitely. Clooney, way more interesting as an actor past forty than he was before. Um, you know, and the list can kind of just keeps going, going, and going. Um, the thing that I think has changed is the people writing stories. I think are being more intelligent about recognizing that characters of an age can be more interesting than the younger characters that don't have that life experience. You know, like how many, how many high school dramas can we watch? Well, and yeah, and it's going to be the same because again, there's this scope that they have of life experience. So the, challenges and obstacles are all going to fall into a certain category, Mm -hmm. but the older you get, 
there are a lot of things that in a human being's life you you don't get there until you know like uh I think of things, and of course, a young person can experience this too, but things like parents passing away or um, weirdly- There's a radical shift in my filmmaking yeah. after my dad died. And then now, even after my mother died, you know, nine years, 10 years after my dad, each time it's like propelled my filmmaking to a whole different level. Um, and I think the films get more and more interesting with each one of those, you know? Well, and it seems like with, uh, with the uh, advent of streaming services and things where they're are more places to get your work out. It seems like the work is becoming more tangibly real. Like before, you know, you think of like the sitcom, there's a formula for that. You think of romantic comedy, there's a formula for that. But then I start looking at series like This Is Us, where it is marketed as a drama, but there are moments that are absolutely freaking hysterical in mm -hmm. that show. And then there are moments where you're going to cry, at least one per show. I've discussed this with Lydia. <laughs> Every time I walk in, if she has a box of Kleenex, she's, I'm like, you're watching This Is Us again, aren't you? And she's like, yes, I love and hate this show. Um, John, too, who I'm, he never cries on stuff, but we watch that show and it's like, I'm not crying. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't taken a dive into that show yet. I've heard from too many people, um, that you're going to cry. And I, I, you know, like I said, my mom passed away recently. I, I've, I've not been ready for that. Yeah. I don't want to watch it. Um, I got to do I'll background to work on that show and everybody was super, super nice. Yeah. Speaking of, of this is us, um, Sterling K Brown won for male actor in a drama series for that show. Yeah. Um, which, of course, makes me more interested in wanting to watch the show now. <laughs> well, what's so impressive about that, and again, Lydia and I have had this conversation, um, Lydia Real, uh, the entire cast is just, like, amazing. It's <laughs> such good ensemble. And yet, even with that great ensemble work, Sterling K. Brown, there's something about him and his performance where he stands out just a little bit above amazing like everybody's awesome and he's just slightly more awesome. I can't really tell you what he's just got that quiet sort of it factor, but um, I, he would be somebody that would, I'm sure would be amazing to work with because he just seems so giving and open. Yeah. Uh, and you can see that in his performance. Plus uh, as he was saying in his speech, like, um, you know, he thanked, it was, I thought it was very cute that he thanked everybody. And he specifically said, you know, I thank my white family, um, referring to the show, but also just if you, if you think about that show, like as a discussion for race relations, it's such a thoughtful show. There's, right. there's one episode, um, where they're talking about, you know, cause they have two children that are biological and, and one that is adopted and he's black. And just the idea that there's certain cultural <laughs> things that Mandy Moore's character had to learn, like how to style black hair mm -hmm. or, um, you know, using sunscreen on, on a black child because, you know, he's still got sunburn, things like that. Um, and it was just, it, you have to watch the show. It's really genuine and honest the way they take those uh, things on. And I don't know, I think if... 
it's a good time for a series like that to Mm -hmm. open up things about race relations because we need to have more honest conversations about that. And I feel like that show is doing an excellent job as is blackish, which I'm so bummed out that blackish did not get an award at the SAG awards because it's a brilliant, have you seen that show? No, I haven't. Oh my God. Brilliant and really funny. Um, Yeah. Yeah. This is us also uh, one for um, ensemble in a drama series as well. So speaking speaking of that, yeah, you can cast see their ensemble work characters, for sure. um, and it's a it's a heck of a cast. I mean, really. Um, let let's talk uh, film. There there was one movie going into awards season that I, I I've declared it my favorite movie of 2017, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really curious because oftentimes I make that declaration in a year and then, and then it the movie kind of flops when it gets to award season, but I'm pretty, pretty happy to see this one's getting, uh, getting a lot of recognition. It got recognition at the golden globes and, and it got a lot of recognition yesterday. Um, and that films three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Um, Sam Rockwell, outstanding performance by a male actor in a supporting role. Um, Francis McDormand, um, actress and then they also won ensemble which is SAG's version of, of best picture mm-hmm. um, well, let, let's talk a little bit about and, and it should be mentioned Woody Harrelson was also nominated for um, male actor in a supporting role uh, for that film too um, these three actors in this film first of all talking about race relations it's a film that has a ton of message about race relations and growing past um, kind of the, the bigotry that you're grown up around and that sort of stuff. Um, but it was tackled by three actors who, when I think of them, I think a lot of their comedy work um, like Francis McDormand and Fargo is hilarious, right? Woody Harrelson on cheers and, and you know, uh, zombie land. I mean, he's a, incredibly good comedic actor and then sam rockwell you know my big introduction to him was galaxy quest like these are three actors with amazing comedic timing who delivered this incredible drama performance that's also got this beautiful humor to it but it's like a dark humor all the way through it um uh, Martin McDonough humor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the movie just blew me away. Um, all their performances blew me away. And um, I was really happy to see that they, that they, they took home some, some trophies last night. Um, what was your thought about the film? I have not actually gotten to see it yet. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Mm. But as far as you saying, like they're all comedic actors, but they've done outstanding work uh, in dramatic films. I honestly, it, when you said that you thought of them as comedic actors immediately, I'm like, really? Because uh, my first, I mean, I, I'd seen Galaxy Quest, but I guess it didn't click in my head that it was Sam Rockwell. <laughs> the first thing that pops in my head that I remember him in was Moon. Mm-hmm. One thing, it was just him. Yeah. And it's captivating. Like you wouldn't, it's like a one man show. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was after Galaxy Quest. I mean, my introduction to the man was, was Galaxy Quest. And then with Woody Harrelson, like I knew he was on Cheers and I'd seen old episodes of Cheers, but ever since True Detective, like that's what I think of him as, is that character from True Detective, which was amazing. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love Zombieland. It's a great movie, but 
when you this is probably about- one of those moments where we should mention the age difference between you and me. <laughs> I mean, no, I think it's, like I said, I've seen Galaxy Quest. Uh, I think it's just. Yeah, but but certain- I, I grew up on a healthy dose of Cheers every yeah. week. Like, grew up on it. Um, so I, I watched Woody Harrelson for, you know, the better part of a decade every week being, and bringing was, the funny. That you was know? your association. Uh, so that's my, my first and foremost association with Woody Harrelson is that he's a very funny actor who has done performances, mm-hmm. you know, that are dramatic. And, but something about this movie for all three of these actors, um, I don't know if it was just the material clicked with them correctly or if it was the direction that they got or just that kind of intangible magic that sometimes happens when you get the right group of people together, but they all seem to step up and do something just beyond anything I'd seen them do before. And I was, I was just blown away when I saw this movie and I saw it at the San Diego international film festival. Oh, I see. And, uh, you know, before it got its theatrical release. Yeah, because that's one challenging thing. Um, it, it hasn't been running everywhere, like, uh, yeah. you know, New York, L.A., larger places like that. When I was home in Missouri, I was mentioning to my mom about it. And she's like, oh, I haven't seen anything for that. So they didn't market it in Missouri very much. Just saying. I <laughs> uh, wonder why. Um, but I heard the other day on the radio that they're extending um, all of the films that have been nominated, uh, like for the Golden Globes and they're bringing them back into the theaters. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's, I'll get my opportunity to go see it. Yeah. Well, I, I can't drop a, a strong enough recommendation on this film. Like any awards it wins, it totally deserves. Um, I, I, and I hope that it gets um, some good recognition for writing when the, uh, when the Oscars come around. Yeah. Um, lots of, I mean, lots of good contenders this year. I'm looking at the ensemble, um, Options: The Crown was in there, Game of Thrones, Handmaid's Tale, Stranger Things, and then of course This Is Us took it. Um, but Handmaid's Tale, you did you watch that series this no, year? No. Um, oh, good lord! But I saw a whole like uh, piece about the cinematography on that show, which just fascinated me. I mean, it's beautiful. Like if you're just looking at the shots, it's really beautiful, and the scenes. Uh, it's like all shot on like extremely wide angle lenses. Oh, I could see that. With really shallow depths of field and stuff. Like. Yeah, I could totally see that. The uh, Every episode, you just can feel yourself getting more and more irate. It's like, I want to go fight somebody now. Fight the power. <laughs> uh, really great show. Yeah, and, and Stranger Things, of course, is, you know, I mean, that's one of my favorite shows. Game of Thrones, you know, everybody knows what that show's about. What blows me away about Stranger Things is how young the Duffer brothers are. They're only like 30. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and such an excellent show. And I've seen, you know, they've done other shows. They did uh, Wayward Pines. Did you watch that one no. at all? Mm. It was interesting. I it Fox canceled it. Fox cancels everything. But um, <laughs> it kind of very similar to Stranger Things. It's hard to pinpoint what genre it is because they just sort of threw a lot of stuff in a pot. Like at first it starts out as a mystery and then it ends up being more like an action thriller and then it's like zombie movie. It's a high school buddy film. And, yeah, yeah, it kind of goes all over the place. That's what I love about it. Yeah. I love that it, it it's, it's tempo and its themes like change episode to episode. And 
Yeah. But it all makes sense in the context of this huge ensemble of characters. Well, so Wayward Pines was similar. I think it was almost like a, a test pilot for Stranger Things because, again, they had it on Fox. It was like two seasons and it had that same like multiple genres feel. But I think obviously what changed with Stranger Things is 80s theme. Everybody's into the 80s right now. <laughs> and weirdly enough, adding adding kids, which they never tell you. They tell you, you know, never work with children or animals, but the kids on that show are fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like, mind-blowing how good they are. Well, I think back to the 80s, and there were a lot of, there were a lot of good 80s films with kids. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you look at Stand By Me and The Goonies. E.T. <laughs> E.T., yeah. I mean, so I think that's part of why it works as an 80s throwback film is it's also capturing kind of the the 80s children buddy film which yeah. you haven't really seen for a while that kind of more serious children's film it's true um so yeah i, I love stranger things i think it's i think it's fantastic uh one more that i want to talk about before we we wrap up and get to our, our interview uh gary oldman won uh for the, his performance in the darkest hour for male actor in a leading role I love Gary Oldman. He's brilliant. But he's like typically overlooked in award season. That's true. So it's really cool to see him win this award. But it's for a character he you can't even recognize. <laughs> he he is so transformed. I mean, he's a chameleon. Yeah. I, I think back to um uh Fifth Element and mm -hmm. how like totally ridiculous Zorg. it's like it's like, ah, oh, that's that same guy. My goodness. <laughs> Yeah, and he was in uh, The Professional. Mm -hmm. He was the bad guy in The Professional. He plays a lot of bad guys, and he just kind of disappears into the characters. But then he plays Gordon, you know? Yeah. So, he's so, just, he's very... Really, really cool to see him get get the award for that. I loved, he got a little verklempt whenever he got up there, and, you know, considering, like, how often he has been overlooked, that I think that's probably why. It's like, yeah. he's worked really hard, and it's kind of sweet. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into our, our first interview of season five. Uh, this is with Mike Egbert. <laughs> I always mess up his name when I try to say it. Uh, Mike Egbert is a local San Diego actor and uh, now director. And we talked with him a bit about making his first short film. Uh, <laughs> the cat's going crazy on the laptop. <laughs> uh, we talked with Mike about his first short film effort, uh, Dollhead, uh, which he wrote and directed and has a tiny role in. Um, and uh, he's been he's been wanting to be on the show for a while, so it was nice to finally get the chance to sit down and chat with him. You you had to phone in. Yeah. Not that you phoned it in, but you phoned it in. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we had a we had a really nice conversation with him. The I think in this first half hour, um, you know, his film's a horror film, and there's a lot of uh, kind of underlying kind of sexual themes and stuff to it. And uh, it naturally brought up a, a discussion about the Me Too movement and uh, what it means for a lot of us as filmmakers and and uh, specifically those of us who are writing or directing scenes and then having to ask actors to kind of step in and do things. Um, it's just interesting to have that conversation and, and go through all that. Um, he obviously is super excited about his film and uh, – you know, I can't wait to see what he's, what he's produced. I, I saw some BTS photos and stuff from their set and it, yeah. <laughs> it looks, it looks like it's going to be, yeah. 
It's going to be good. So uh, this is Mike Egbert on the 211th episode of the Intellectual Podcast. And uh, we will catch you again in a week. See you later. Hello there, citizens. I am the terror that flaps in the night. I am the floaty that will not flush no matter how many times you try in the toilet bowl of crime. I am Darkwing Duck. Telling you, please, talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. <laughs> Whatever the heck that means. After all, you are watching Intellectual Podcast with your ears. Uh, we've got Whitney Wegman on the telephone line via Skype uh, joining in. Hi, Whit. Hi. I think there's a little bit of a delay with Whitney, so we'll have to pause while she responds to things. And sitting uh, here in the kitchen studio today is uh, Mike Egbert. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, buddy? Doing good. Um, for the benefit of our audience, uh, let's get a little bit of background on you, Mike. Okay. Uh, I'm an actor. Uh, turned kind of director now. Uh, I've done stand-up for seven years. Uh, I've been acting for three or four years. And uh, my goal here is just to make people smile and laugh. And uh, that's what I've been doing lately. Nice. So you say you, you, you're an actor, but you started directing lately? Correct. So I kind of got the bug. You know, people kept bugging me, probably because I'm a little bit more involved than the average actor on a set. And so I wanted to do more. I wanted to get behind the scenes to become a better actor. And so I started, you know, writing and, and holding sound booms and getting coffee and all that stuff and doing a lot of AD work. And Never so that, underestimate the power of being the guy who gets the coffee. Right? That guy's important. I know when I'm acting, that's important. <laughs> He's my favorite guy. Them and makeup. And uh, I just wanted my turn. So I wanted to write my own movie and, and, and direct it. And this is my first shot called Dollhead. Yeah, I saw some pictures uh, online today. I brought you the star today. He's got a severed head here, Whitney. Oh, I see. So, how far into filming are you? Well, this Sunday was day 11 of 12. Originally scheduled for 10, but you know how stuff works. <laughs> it's just and a half-hour horror film. where did you film. find the script? Uh, I wrote it. I came with the story myself. Oh, you wrote it? Yes. Awesome. What was Can you uh, share with us a little bit about the story without giving away too much? Oh, I don't mind giving away at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm easy. Uh, basically, it's it's the story about an overprotective mom and her son. Uh, there's a story of abuse uh, with the mother and the child, uh, not not each other, but to them. And the son is a mute. And so there's all kinds of challenges there. And she makes some promises to him by giving them his doll that she's never going to let anybody hurt him again. Well, that doesn't last too long. And so uh, she ends up killing her boyfriend, who is abusive to, this, to the kid, and rips this doll head apart creating doll head and uh she serves him up as, as in her restaurant as food <laughs> unfortunately so, she gets so it's a family film. Oh. yes of course yeah it's also a christmas film too <laughs> by the way we've had lots of christmas stuff <laughs> we kill one of somebody in front of a christmas tree it's great it's that's hilarious and uh so really then uh mom gets uh, locked away and now she communicates to her son through this uh doll head and convinces him to unfortunately do bad things, and he struggles with it. So I, I've been really fascinated the last few years to talk to writers and, and and find out where their inspiration comes from because I, that's the part for me that I struggle with that initial idea, and and then how to like kind of jump from there. If somebody gives me an idea, I can run with it like no problem, um, and I've actually been finding that I'm enjoying adapting 
like short stories into films and stuff, but to come up with something from, you know, just nothing into doll head. Like what was, what was the driving force of that inspiration for you? What, what, what brought that idea to your mind? Well, it was uh, Halloween, uh, 2016. Okay. And, uh, I had gone out to the trash a few days before I had gone out to the trash and, uh, I had opened my mother's uh, recycling bin and there was this doll staring at me in the trash can. Super (laughs) creepy, right? Not ready for this. It was like super early in the morning, not ready for this. So I took the doll and I was going to kind of adapt it to another costume I was going to make. Uh, but then I kind of ran out of time. And so I just kind of took this doll head and took it to work and basically just stroked it as a security guard when checking people's IDs. And it just kind of gave me a thing to do to people on Halloween when line was busy and nobody was moving and kind of entertain people. And that's how it started. And then, of course, I have an overprotective mother, so that helps. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like so, you, I did you I'm ever very find good. out why the doll head was there? Uh, it was her mom. So my grandma actually made this doll, and she was throwing it away, which is kind of terrible now, that, especially since my grandma's passed. Uh, <laughs> but the original doll head was my grandma made it, so it made it even more special. And yeah, so my mom was definitely well, very overprotective. Good that you rescued it then. Yes. Yes. And now I've made a legend out of it. That's hilarious. So how long did it take you to go from stroking a doll head on Halloween to writing it into a script? It probably took a year. I feel so. I took, I'm like you, David, I can come up with a great story, but the actual script writing and coming up with the dialogue is still new to me. So So, so we're we're opposites. Okay. (laughs) So I took the story idea uh, and gave it to a couple writers and I'm getting some weird sound. Is that? It's in the headphones. Yeah. yeah. Just okay. It. Ignore it. Uh, so I took it to a couple of writers. We got together. I kind of gave them my story ideas. I had them come up with a couple of versions. I kind of hybrid those versions based on what my idea was and my vision and then adapted a little more. And that's, that's what we came up with. And that took about a year. And then since then, I've been doing the storyboards myself over a year, like in a bar, just late at night when I had time and uh, just kept working on it and working on it. That's really cool. Um, the The process of writing. Um, so you said you worked with a couple of writers, correct? Um, what was that process like? I mean, how was the how was the dynamic of working with multiple writers? Because I, I I find when I'm writing, like I'll co-write something, but one of us kind of takes the lion's share, and then the other one kind of works on revisions and that sort of stuff. How did, how did that process work for you with your team of writers? Well, I think this way it was really easy because I identified myself as the leader and the person in control of the script and the ideas and the creative uh, story right away. So they were just helping me turn this into something, uh, into an actual story. Mm-hmm. So I kind of gave them the guidelines of what I wanted. I, I read each of their scripts and uh, I, liked their, I liked both stories. So I took the best piece out of both stories. I, it was like great, like the best thing ever. Instead of having one script, I had multiple ideas I could share and hybrid and right. And it was great. And so I took the best ideas out of each one, combined them, talked to them, had them work on it again, and then that's what, where we went forward with it. But, but I made them understand that this is my idea. I don't want to hurt any feelings. I want your help. Right, right. I, 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 we, here at the intellectual team, like we like to say no egos. Um, film first. You Correct. Know, whatever services the film best is what takes priority, like in all, in all things. 
Yeah, and, and nobody's emotions should matter <laughs> outside of do what's right for the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely not about emotions. I mean, you're creating an emotional film, and that's the whole point of the film, is to stir up emotions in the audience, but yet you're trying to control the emotions on set. So, it's, yeah, it's definitely a different dynamic. Right. I've had a lot of experience with leadership in my civilian world, I guess. And so I take that and I use that project leadership and that management I coached football for 13 years, so I know how to manage high school boys. So it's not terrible for me and the way I adapt my skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, one of the biggest challenges I had in this um, this new, I would say, empowerment of women in the sexual harassment uh, era right now, I filmed a film where I had uh, titties. I had a, 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 a studio full of women in lingerie and a, and a guy in drag, and, and that was a, a challenge. But I knew what I was facing. I went and addressed everybody and told them, hey, I want to make sure everybody's safe and comfortable. And if you're not comfortable talking to me, I have a female here you could talk to if you'd like to. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And everybody was comfortable. Everybody just standing around naturally in lingerie. I didn't have these like weird defended body postures. And everybody thanked me afterwards how comfortable they felt and how great it was. And yeah. that, that lets me know that I'm doing the right things. Yeah. We, we, Whitney and I, uh, Team Intellectual, have been working on a true San Diego film. Uh, for the 60-day film competition that Film, film Consortium is mm-hmm. doing. And uh, it's the first film that we've shot since all the kind of Weinstein fallout and everything that's gone on there. And uh, we happened to get a story to adapt that lended itself to a lot of um, uh, human relationship drama. <laughs> and specifically a character that, you know, kind of sleeps around on another character. And... Uh, it was it was awkward to approach those scenes, to approach our lead actress and say, "Hey, do you mind being in a role where you know you're going to make out with another woman? Uh, you're going to appear in a hotel with another woman, uh, as well as being with the, this guy and this other guy, kind of thing." And you know, I found it very awkward. Definitely, definitely, I, I felt the same thing, and it, awkward in a good way, though. Yeah, like I felt like you know, because I had to have a conversation with my crew. Which I think anybody should be having that conversation with the worst 1980 or 2017. You need to address anybody being in a weird position. You know what I mean? Whether you're going to have their clothes off or doing something unique or a stunt or something. Everybody should be respectful and understand that. And just like any other set, I definitely want to go out of my way and above because of this. And I'm glad that this stuff is happening. You know, I I raised two daughters. And uh, I'm glad that this is finally coming forward. Yeah. Whitney, what's your stance on that? Because Whitney actually is one of the girls who... Who made out with the lead actress in our film? Thank you, Whitney. <laughs> um, how, how, how is all well, that fallout so, and stuff from you know, Me having, Too going for you? Having having been in those scenes before, and also, I mean, I've I've had scenes where I've you know had sex scenes and stuff. Um, it's always nice if you know it's a smaller crew, closed set uh, as much as possible, and then you know everybody's. Um, uh, you know, uh, reasonable about it. it. You know, once in a while you crack a joke because you know don't want to make it too serious, of course, because it's so artificial and weird anyway. But um, just yeah, nothing, nothing weird. Because uh, you you definitely get those people where they just sort of give you the creeper vibe on it, and it's like that doesn't help. <laughs> And I'm naturally creepy, so that was super hard to avoid. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're, well, yeah, you, you were stroking a doll head, so yeah, see, there you, you go. Yeah, and I came up um, with the story. Yeah, there's all kinds of issues there. 
how did you, I mean, it seems like you combated that awkwardness, uh, in a really good way. Um, what, what other strategies did you employ other than, you know, like talking to everybody and just saying, Hey, this is, uh, what we're going to be doing. Uh, well, I mean, first it's, it's important to be clear with what we're doing. You know what I mean? You can't just surprise somebody go, Hey, by the way, I need you to put on this skimpy outfit. It was like, when we cast them, we told them what we wanted. In fact, uh, in one of the scenes, in another scene, we have the girl where she dies and she falls back and her chest is exposed. Uh, I had to go through three different actresses to that who, you know, both the first two kind of both had challenges at first. You know what I mean? It wasn't with doing it. It was just like kind of later on, they were like, I talked to their family and they just weren't accepting of it, you know, and, and I supported that. I was like, hey, look, you know, it's your choice. I'm, I definitely want somebody who wants to show uh, their chest on TV and is comfortable with it as a performer and not somebody who's nervous about it or it's definitely going to come off on camera. You know, plus it's just going to send a vibe to everybody else. You're, you're setting a potential. Um, when I did the other scene, I, you know, one of my main characters was a male. I was like, okay, if I'm going to have female nipples in this movie, I'm going to have male nipples in this movie. I make did the this same fan. thing. I did <laughs> okay? the same thing. I'm like, these girls are going to be making out. This guy's going to have his shirt off. You know, right? like it's going to be equal exposure across the board. But. And it was for a reason. And it was for a reason. It wasn't just like, Hey, I need titties in my movie. It's like, it's gotta be a reason why we see them or why they're doing this act. Yeah. You know? That's yeah. important. Well, we had a reason for him taking his shirt off, you know, <laughs> outside of it being equal. But, but it was important to me that we did. Uh, you know, it wasn't all just girls doing stuff like that. Yeah. You know? Like if we're gonna have a film like that, then you know everybody has to be vulnerable too. You know. And I, exactly. I think I think having the the Me Too discussion has been constructive in reminding us to think that stuff through ahead of time. And be be careful that we're not just exploiting women because they're women. You know, like like we need to be considerate of, of who they are and, and what they're going through and what they have gone through as a gender in our species. It's it's atrocious. Yeah, I, I think you know, for me, I, I have an advantage. So I raised two daughters. Uh, also, when it comes to like race, my first wife was black. My kids are mixed. They're black. I don't see those lines you know i mean i don't see those issues i don't see see them as separate people or a separate gender you know what i mean they're, they're my family or they're they're my friends or they're my you know co-workers or whatever that is you know they're, they're, they're people too mm -hmm. and for people to see those lines that we have to specifically address this stuff is sad yeah it's 2017 guys you know i put on nail polish sometimes i colored my beard pink you know what i mean <laughs> it's it's have fun with stuff man let's get rid of these stupid lines yeah i totally agree so now, Mike, you said that um, you had to, you know, do a lot of time with casting to uh, to try and find actresses that, you know, were comfortable with these different uh, scenes and things. Was that one of the more challenging parts? Um, what was casting like for you, this being your, your first time in the director's seat? Well, I had a lot of friends, and I knew some talent, and I wanted to include as many friends that had the right talent in my movie as possible. I think we all kind of do that. That's the one luxury we have in a small production, you know, is kind of do that. I mean, look at uh, The Disaster Artist, you know, The Room, for example. You know, that was friends and stuff doing a movie. Yeah, any Kevin Smith film. Yeah, you know? but I wasn't trying to sacrifice the film for it Right. at the same time. You know, film first, like you mentioned. Uh, the challenges I had were, were I knew it was going to find, you know, some of these unique characters. For example, my main character was a mute. So I had to find somebody that could really be expressive with themselves. And it actually created a funny story because my project's a SAG project. And, 
in order to get SAG, I had to make a few phone calls because they denied my project because the main character didn't have enough lines. Right. Yeah, he has no lines <laughs> in the entire movie. Yeah, so you had to call him back and go, what? Yeah, so, so, yeah, I actually had to contact my friends here in San Diego, like, you know, the, the SAG guys, and have them talk to the executives and, and get clearance for that because they weren't taking that serious. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, that, so that was a challenge, finding somebody that could uh, portray without using any words. Um, and I didn't want to do a lot of sign language because I kind of wanted to make him a little sheltered and that everybody else's life didn't really know sign language. Uh, when I was casting the girls... I probably had seven girls quit on me that morning that were supposed to be at the set, but so, and like you know three at the set, four before, and because when they got there, I told them what was going on and they weren't comfortable, mm. so they left and I was okay with that. But I still had seven girls in lingerie and even in a, performing a scene where I created my own uh, sex device called the fuck cell. That's <laughs> a takeoff on the drill dough, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so we had an actor tied up in chains. We had a drag queen. You gotta love shooting horror. We films, had, right? a, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and we had this purple dildo just <laughs> on this uh, powerful device attachment. So it was great. Uh, <laughs> but I focused on making sure that everybody was comfortable. That was my goal. Mm-hmm. Maybe even before the film, it was making people feel comfortable. Yeah, you know, just on that day, particularly because I knew what we were doing. Well, it's a, it's on any set. You, you, you have to create what they call the safe space, you know, because uh, actors, regardless of whether they're getting naked or, or doing a scene where they're getting, you know, sawed in half or whatever, they're still having to expose their emotional uh, kind of, you know, underbelly, as we said in one of my acting classes once, you know, uh, to, to, to lay out your emotions, to put your art forward like that is to just kind of bare your soul for an audience to judge you, to make comments about you, to, to you know, love it or hate it. And, and you're just made bare to all of that. And so at the moment of creation, like we as directors and producers, it's important that we create a place where the actor feels safe while they're, while they're putting themselves out there like that. Because um, if, they, if they don't feel safe, they're never going to get to the emotional place that we need them to be at. Definitely. And also one of the advantages too is, is like I mentioned, I'm an actor first. So having that experience and being on set and making sure that I want to be treated that way, I'm going to treat other people that same way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's the benefits of, of people switching sides of the camera just to learn a little bit more about the other side so you have a little bit more understanding of that person and what their job is. Yeah, I'm always encouraging directors and stuff, you know, like at least go take an acting class or two so you kind of understand the mentality of where they're at to, yeah. a, to an extent. And if you can, as a director, get on someone's set and actually do some acting and learn what it's like to wait yeah. and wait and wait and wait and then be like, dance, monkey, dance, <laughs> you know? And then, okay, good. Go wait, 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 <laughs> yes. wait, dance, monkey, dance. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes. it, it's harder than people think. <laughs> yeah. It's boring and boring and boring. And all of a sudden it's fun. <laughs> boring and boring and boring is fun yeah and and for an actor if you want to be a better actor uh, go handle a production schedule mm. okay go try to make appointments and dates and get everybody there on time and find a location go do that that was the most enjoyable part of the film was put a call was, sheet together yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> I know how important it is to be on time now <laughs> I was a bad actor I admit it <laughs> what about you Whitney you, you a bad actor Pardon? Are you a bad actor? Do you do you come up? You don't come to set. Oh, uh, there's definitely. Oh no, I, I I'm I'm usually pretty prompt. <laughs> but she needs coffee. 
Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I did have a question for you, though, Mike. Please. Uh, so this is a horror film. Um, can you talk a little bit about the special effects? What, what kind of fun things did you guys come up with? Because that's always where you can get really creative with, uh, you know, how you can do things on a budget. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. We definitely did this film on a budget. I paid for half this movie and, and the other half through crowdfunding, which is great. And I want to thank my sponsors out there for sure. They definitely made this dream possible. Um, I'm, I'm old school, new hope. You know what I mean? I wanted real stuff. I'm an actor. When I'm on screen and stuff's green, it doesn't give me an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make, you know, I'm a very physical actor. So I wanted stuff that was real they could play with. And so, like, one of our biggest locations was a real active kitchen. So there's real stuff in there. You know what I mean? We could turn on the stove and really cook stuff, you know? And and uh, um, for us, we were going to be chopping up bodies. <laughs> so finding prosthetics that we could chop up. Uh, that was fun. Uh, I had eyeballs I ordered special for the soup. Um, of course, the doll. I, I'm now... F- Wait, so you made the prosthetics? Uh, well, I, I had backups. So here's my, as a filmmaker, not counting on everything, I ordered backups. Plus I had a guy make me a leg (laughs) (laughs) just in case. Luckily everything came out and and it worked out great. Um, but like, uh, like the dolls, for example, was my favorite prop. I made those dolls with my mother. Yeah. So like I went to a doll convention, we went to a doll maker's house to learn about dolls and the history of dolls. And I ordered these online and I had to make it myself, put the eyes in there, the hair on it, the attach the bodies. So like, that was a really fun prop and that's not even getting bloody <laughs> just cause it was unique. But, um, it's the fun things we get to do as, as filmmakers is we get to kind of jump into other fields and, and kind of get, get to feel and experiment a little bit and what other people do. Yeah. Especially, you know, kind of very specific things like doll making. Like, who who in a normal life even thinks, I'm going to go just make a doll and see what that's like. Yeah, I'm going to go hang out at this old lady's house and <laughs> all her dolls are staring at me and, <laughs> and learn more about where the eyeballs come from in Paris. It was really fun. <laughs> I like waiting for Whitney to see if she has anything to yeah, say. Oh, she does. I know. She's a smart girl. You guys should just continue on because I'm having a really hard time actually hearing what you're saying. Ah, yeah. Well, the wonders of Skype. <laughs> um, so, as an actor who's now directing, um, what was what was the experience like for you to make that transition? Did you did you also act in your film, or did you strictly direct on this? I did, but I I. I wanted to focus on the directing, so my scene is like the extra credit Marvel movie Stanley cameo. Okay, <laughs> so even if it doesn't make it, you don't see that part. It's fine. Right. Uh, I just I just wanted a little piece in there, just because you know I want to make my Stanley moment. But no, I really wanted to let the other actors and focus on the directing since I'm still new at it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, this is I've done my own little three minute films or four minute films, but never anything big like this in a professional environment. So. And how long is, is Dollhead? Uh, 30 minutes. 30 so minutes. I'm trying to create this new market, or a traditional market, the 30-minute horror film. Right. Uh, so that when you're on your phone, you know, at work or whatever, and you got that hour lunch, you can go get something to eat, come back, watch the film. You're at home, you got 30 minutes, you can kill, you just watch this little film. Right. Uh, kind of like Tales of the Crypt and Twilight Zone, but no host. 
Yeah. Well, we did something similar when we made Lefty a couple years ago. It was 22 minutes long, which is, you know, approximately a half hour TV episode. Yeah. yeah. With commercials, you know. So. Now, I've also been writing the prequel and the sequel in case when I have those discussions, they want more. But <laughs> I really just always have to... something ready. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to love the prequel. Now, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be taking this to market? Are you doing film uh, festivals, competitions, or going like a Netflix platform? Uh, I want to go get some awards first. So I don't think Netflix really wants to talk to me unless I have some awards or accolades, and it definitely helps. So that's my goal is to you know put this out there and test it and see what happens. I think we have a really great film. And, and one of my, you asked me about to follow up the question about the director thing. One of my favorite parts about directing, at least this film, is how much love and support I'm getting. How many times the actors and crew tell me they want me to write the prequel and sequel because they want more. You know, how much fun they're having on set, how long they're willing to be on set, and I haven't heard any complaining. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. I mean, I have a very small crew, probably like five people, and we're shooting this. You know, I mean, of course, I'm picking up stuff and carrying gear and moving right. lights myself, you know, but... Welcome to independent filmmaking. Yeah, but it's, it's, that's the feedback I'm getting. Like, everybody is in love with my film. And I can't get enough of that because I'm trying to I'm trying to stay non-biased and very sterile in emotions because I'm trying to treat this as a business. Right. And I'm super biased because I've, I've done everything in this film. I know everything. But their, their feedback is amazing. And that lets me know uh, that this is going to be something special. It's um, it, it's really interesting to. You know, this is the first time you've directed and I'll be really interested to talk to you after you've done two or three more films. But to get kind of that sensation of how different your relationship is with your, with your performers and your crew from movie to movie, even if it's the same people, it's, it's always fascinating to me to see how the dynamic changes from film to film, you know, based on what we're shooting, based on who the performers are, you know, there's just a different, uh, there's always just a kind of different emotional state that the core group of people have from film to film. Um, and it goes back sometimes to the the comment I make all the time that, you know, lead actors are more than just actors. They also are kind of generals on your set and they set a tone and who you have as your lead actor also changes the dynamic of what that crew and cast is like from movie to movie. Um, who Who is your lead actor in, in this film? Uh, so in this film, it was Raymond. Um, gosh, what can I? Garcia, I believe. I'm a Raymond Morris. Sorry, I don't know why I went with Garcia. I had a, <laughs> had a brain fart. Sorry there, Raymond. Uh, Raymond I put Gar you on the spot. Yeah, Raymond Morris. And uh, taking advantage of that same thing, like, like you said, the different dynamic, I set my crew and my cast up with people I had worked with already. Mm -hmm. uh, so like Raymond, we had done a 48 film under John Bedell, who's my co-producer on this. And so I had an experience working with him. We were both lead actors. So I knew what he was as a lead general on the set. You know, I mean, I knew how to right. work with them. So that right. was super important. I was like, hey, I can work with this dude. Where, for example, one of the other actors that I thought about being the lead guy, I was like, you know what? I can't work with you. <laughs> and I can't, <laughs> I can't trust you in this role. Mm -hmm. You know, this is such a huge role, you know. And, and so that's it. Uh, my camera guy, uh, John Freeman, you know very well. Yeah. Uh, I've done multiple, multiple films with him. So I knew our relationship was so great and our communication was so good that we could overcome any challenges that I would have as a new director. Well, and John, and John Freeman, uh, who, you know, for our, for our nationwide audience, international audience, uh, John Freeman's a local San Diego filmmaker as well. 
and uh, a very talented filmmaker in his own right. Uh, really good director as well. And photographer and, and photographer, artist. Yeah. And he's, he's just, just a hell of a nice guy. All around incredible <laughs> artist. Yes. He's an talented. artiste, maybe is the best way to say it. Um, that's, that's a good, that's a good person to have on your side. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like I said, we've done multiple films. Like some, one of my, some of my first films we did together, uh, soul insurance with Mike Braden. We had won some awards on that one. Uh, I did a film with him, a soul to keep that, uh, I've seen some film festivals and I was really proud of another film that I helped write. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, I love working with him. I feel like he can turn nothing into something magically on that camera and he's great and he has great ideas and great shots and, uh, one of my new favorite shots that we did on the film is the dolly zoom. Oh, uh, yeah. Zolly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we did it with the character walking backwards too. So mm. it was kind of like a triple threat. And it was just <laughs> super cool when you see it on camera, like this neat visual, you know? And it's just stuff like that that we kind of worked out together, you know? And we have right. a lot of cool shots. That's awesome. And Naked Man Ass. That was the first half of our interview with Mike Egbert. Be sure to join us on the Intellectual Podcast next week as we finish our discussion with him about his film, Dollhead. And Whitney and I complete our discussion about the SAG Awards, and I'll have a few thoughts on the nominations for the Oscars as well. Be sure to visit gunnageek.com to find a plethora of amazing podcasts covering a wide spectrum of the geek world. Until next time, I'm David Dawson. This has been The Intellectual. We'll see you next week.